welcome to the Hub Crawl Roundtable podcast discussing all things Disney. I'm Teg. And I'm Eric. Each episode, we invite two guests to bring a question and talk about one of our favorite things, Disney. Well, this week, we want to welcome lead travel planner for Concierge. And I have to say, every time that I've worked with James from Concierge and a lot of our podcast listeners from DL Weekly have worked with James, it has been an amazing experience. So if you want to book anything through Concierge, hit James up. He's a Disneyland expert. Uh, But welcome, James, to the show. Thank you, Tig. Pleasure to be here. Also joining us this week is an unabashed Disney adult adventure and Diz Dad extraordinaire. It's Dave. Well, hello, fellow humans. How are y'all? Humans? That's an assumption. Oh, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> wow, flattery will get you everywhere. Thank you all for joining us. Yeah, let's start off with our first question from Tag. What do you got for us this week? Well, you know, the... <laughs> topic that's been on everybody's mind since this news came out. Uh, By the time this posts, it'll be a few weeks ago at this point. But what are everyone's thoughts on the Bob replacing Bob situation? Of course, for those listeners who uh, apparently have been living in a cave until listening to this episode, Bob Iger has come back from retirement and replaced Bob Chapek as the CEO of the Walt Disney Company. James, what are your thoughts? Well, my first thought was I had to doubt the news a little bit because like, this is too good to be true. Because I've always enjoyed Iger, what he's done with the Disney brand overall, going with the parks and movies. So I'm curious to see if there's going to be any changes that he does within the parks themselves to make make them a little bit more appealable again to people. Because I know some things have been a turnoff lately, whether it's the reservations or just some things that people have felt that's different. So I'm curious to see what he's going to do in the next few years and how he's, I feel like this is probably going to be more of a proper passing the baton than last time because other Bob was, you know, kind of thrown in there with pandemic. So not much time to get settled. So I'm, I'm hoping this is going to be a smoother transition. Eric, what are your thoughts? Well, yeah, continuing on that thread here, I, pretty much everybody is, is, happy to see Chapek out and a lot of people liked Bob Iger but he's got a lot of work ahead of him the last two movies from animation tanked strange strange worlds and lightyear complete complete tanked i i i barely even noticed that strange world was coming out and i was kind of interested from the trailer was there a budget for marketing i don't know maybe i was missing things but i do have disney plus on almost every day come on um <laughs> Disney Plus, speaking of which, is hemorrhaging money. Um, It makes sense. We've got a lot of content to create. It's a new, relatively new streaming service, and they've got the Fox catalog, which, again, cost billions of dollars. And a lot of these problems started with Iger. Iger Iger kicked off the Fox acquisition. He's Movies take forever to make, especially animation. So he was privy to these ideas. It wasn't all just Chapek. So yeah, it, maybe it's a morale boost for fans and cast members. Maybe that's enough. Iger is known for his big moves, acquisitions, big park deals like uh, Shanghai Disney, but he's got two years to find a successor. What else can he do? He's Can he pull off the operational things in the interim and really turn the company around in a way that pleases the, the shareholders as well? And they, you know, we all know they, they kind of pull the strings, right? Yeah. Um, Dave, your thoughts? Oh, I'm very similar to what you and James have said so far. I would describe my general feeling cautiously optimistic. You know, as far as I can tell, nobody, nobody liked JPEG in the job that he was doing. You know, certainly we've all heard the complaints from the fans and the guests talking to cast members. I don't. I didn't run into any, a single cast member, and I've talked to many of them. What are your thoughts? Nobody had anything positive to say, and that includes, you know, some people, you know, not just frontline cast members. I ran into folks on the airplane on my way to the D23 Expo that had left the company from executive position who basically said, this is no good. It's not going to work. So you've got dissatisfaction with your guests. You've got dissatisfaction with your cast members. A lot of that can be overlooked if you're making money and doing outperforming expectations. But when the company's not making money, it's not going to work. And so I think, generally speaking, everybody was happy. And from the rumor mill, it sounds like he didn't even have full support of D23 
the highest levels of executive leadership. It was not, his circle of support was very small. And that's not to say everything he did was bad or that, you know, he didn't inherit a lot of that, but everyone seems to be happy that he's gone. So I'm optimistic. But, you know, as was previously said, a lot of this stuff started under Iger. And Iger has talked about wanting to retire multiple, multiple times. And we have not found a successor. And that's probably my biggest concern is this company is massive and huge. It doesn't need to grow or acquire other properties at this point in time. We are a giant cruise ship that needs to turn around and we're kind of running low on power. And it's going to take some time to make that happen. How do you turn around the cruise ship and how do you find a new captain that's going to take us forward? And it's basic business. You take care of your employees. They will take care of you. You take care of your customers. They will take care of you. There's a lot that needs to be done. And two years doesn't seem like enough time to make it happen. So I'm optimistic. It's certainly a step in the right direction. I'm not sure it's going to fix everything. Uh, what about you, Take? What do you think? Well, in the in our document here, I uh, wrote lots of thoughts. Uh, I feel like anybody who's listened to DL Weekly, we've had lots of thoughts about this. But for our listeners here for the Hub Crawl, I will say that I, I totally agree with everything you guys have all said. I'm glad that you guys brought up the fact that um, we all like Iger. We feel that there was just something about him. He wasn't quite the charismatic person that let's say Michael Eisner was or Walt Disney was, but there was something about him that wasn't like off-putting. He was very, you just felt comfortable around him. Not that he was like a great charismatic person, but like he just didn't do anything that kind of rocked the boat too much, I guess. But I agree, and Teresa has brought this up to me too, that a lot of these things, you know, people talk about Genie Plus and Bob Iger did Genie, or um, Bob Chapek did Genie Plus and Lightning Lane and blah, blah, blah. Well, if we remember, that got announced at the D23 Expo in 2019. Iger was still the CEO then. So it just happened to be that Chapek was there when it got implemented. So... I've seen a lot of reports online. One of the things that people feel, and I tend to somewhat agree with this, even though I still like Iger, it seems like he saw that this was looming. He got Disney in this giant problem with the way overpaying in a lot of people's opinions for 20th Century Fox or 21st Century Fox or whatever they're called now. And so that was going to put a financial burden on the company. Disney Plus launching, of course, you're going to have to spend a lot of money to kind of get that going because all of the stock market cared about or the market cared about was subscriber growth. Well, since Netflix didn't have a good thing, now they want all of these streaming providers to be making money. And that's a different method than what direction they were all going because the market said, we don't care if you're making money, we want subscriber growth. And now the market's like, actually, we don't care about subscriber growth, we want you to make money. And it's like, uh, okay, that's not what you told us before. And that's like, to use your metaphor, Dave, moving this giant cruise ship, it takes time. So it's going to be painful for that while. It does seem like Iger gave the keys to Chapek and was like, here you go. There's a looming pandemic. We've already closed one of our parks. It's probably going to be terrible. The 20th century thing, it's also going to bring in a bunch of crap. So I feel like he put a lot of things in motion that Chapek is taking the fall for that I think would have plagued the company even if Iger was CEO. I do think Iger would have been able to smooth it over better than Chapek. Chapek's not really a good people person, it seems like, and not very good at choosing his words. He's very logical and whatever, but a lot of these things are emotional for the fan base. The last two things I'll say that I think Disney needs are, are some thoughts uh, about the fact that he's only going to be around for two years. The first thing that pops in my head is, okay, one, is he the, the more likely option is he has an idea that uh, and the board probably has an idea of who they want to be the successor but they need somebody to guide so he's got to take whoever they're thinking about and kind of pull him under his wing show him how to kind of do things and they'll they'll pick that person it'll be two like a two-year crash course and then here's the company or i don't want to i don't want to jump into the whole rumor mill but it does make sense from a certain standpoint that the it's been it's on record that when Iger worked with Steve Jobs before Steve Jobs passed away over 10 years ago at this point that they thought that if Steve would have stayed alive that they might have merged at some point and become this great thing 2 years is a pretty good time frame to kind of facilitate a merger and that's the type of stuff that Bob Iger's really good at. Obviously, he took in Lucasfilm, he took in Marvel, he took in, you know, 
the beginnings, at least, of 20th Century Fox. So I, I wouldn't rule out an Apple merger. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be a good thing for either company necessarily, but who knows. But the one thing I do think they need to do as a board, as a CEO, whatever, is I think they need to put in their uh, company bylaws or something. I don't know what all the technical mumbo-jumbo terms for it. But I think Disney needs to have their structure set that they have two leaders at the top and that they will always have two leaders at the top. They will have a financial person, like a chief financial officer, and they'll have a chief creative officer. And there won't be one CEO. There'll be a dual leadership at the top. And when the creative person leaves, you bring in another creative person. When the money person leaves, you bring in another money person. You don't have one person that's trying to do both of those. The Walt Disney Company has only done well when you've had both of those. You had Walt and Roy. You had Frank Wells and Michael Eisner. The company has done amazingly well when that has been the ingredients of the company. When we've had one CEO, things go well for a little while, and then it it doesn't. And I think that that's what we're seeing here. But... That wraps up our first question. Great thoughts from everybody. I'm interested to see what happens in the next couple of years. I guess we'll all just have to wait and see. It's another roller coaster ride from from Disney, I guess. Uh, (laughs) So, James, what's your question this week? Yeah, my question is, and this could, you know, it can be either Disneyland or Disney World, but what are some of your favorite aspects of the Disney park during the holiday season? And uh, Eric, what are some of your first things? What first comes to mind is Main Street. Main Street USA, the decorations, the change in music, the tree, all of it is amazing. Both coasts, the you you see the castle at the end and at night when the lights turn on. It's just magical. But they do this in other places too. And this is what comes to mind. Like Buena Vista Street at DCA, they've got a great tree there. Um, apparently it's shorter than the tree at Disneyland we learned last week. <laughs> Listen to DL Weekly for the trivia section. They do something similar there as well, and it it works so well in that in that aspect with the the period decorations and everything they do. But Walt Disney World, they have decorations at all the other parks. They have a tree at Animal Kingdom. They have a tree at Epcot. They have a tree at Hollywood Studios, and they're all fit to those particular parks and they all work in at animal kingdom, all of the ornaments, it's this enormous tree and all of the ornaments are carved animals. That's the stuff that I love to see. It's not necessarily the overlays, which are cool and the parades, which are fun. It's these different things that they roll out each year and every year they're a little bit different, but they're still so they fit in so well with the world around them. And they, they really, it's right at the front of the park in every single place. And it pulls you in even though you might pass through it into other areas, Adventureland and Avengers Campus, where there's nothing really as themed, that sets you up. That that puts you in 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 the mood, in the spirit, as it were. I really love all of that. Uh, Dave, your thoughts? It's hard for me to argue with you in terms of decor. Like, and you started with Main Street. How can you not start with Main Street? Because right. it is fabulous. It's every window. It's every inch of those buildings oozes holidays like beyond belief and you know specifically i'm tend to think about uh you know the christmas decorations but even you know halloween and other times of the year it's over the top and you know while yes all of the parks have decor i think disneyland puts more into it than any of the other parks in my humble opinion and you know i i have been at you know I have a regular meeting of friends in January at uh, Walt Disney World, and they always still have their holiday uh, decorations up through Marathon Weekend. I've seen both coasts. Disneyland does it better, I'm just going to say. But probably this is not true. This is just a side benefit. One of the best parts of the holiday season for me is I get a little warm and sticky, and I really appreciate the lower temperatures in both Florida and California at both of the parks. It's comfortable. I can wear a t-shirt. I could wear jeans. I could wear a sweatshirt in the evening. You know, it might get a little cool for some folks, but for me, I'm in heaven. I think it's, I am never more comfortable than I am during the holiday season on either coast. I think it's a fantastic time to visit just from a personal comfort level. I don't have to have a wet towel wrapped around my head. (laughs) I don't have to have a personal fan. I'm just, happy and content and comfortable. And there's something to be said for that. Uh, you know, it takes 
Yeah, your thoughts. You're laughing at me. No, I'm laughing because I'm thinking, you know, I need to schedule a trip to Disney World in the wintertime because uh, both times I've been there have been the, heat, the, 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 the middle of summer. It was, it was the very beginning of June, Oof. which was hot and icky. And Teresa and I went towards the end of August in the pandemic because it was the only park that was open. Right. And, uh, and man, that was also very warm. But, you know... One of the things that, if anybody's ever listened to me talk about any of the Disney parks, one of the things that I like and I, I long for is like a 24-hour park day again, because I would totally be there, because I like the parks at night. I think the parks are never more magical than they are at night. And so, in the wintertime, the holiday season, it gets darker earlier, so you can enjoy all the great evening lighting. The parks are, are, are open late, like they are during the summertime, so just tons and tons of hours of, of nighttime. Of course, like you guys all said, the decor and the tree and just everything, the fireworks, everything uh, is just really amazing. But for me, it's definitely darker earlier, more nighttime, that's great. And then, you know, Main Street, like you said, looks amazing anyway at night and then you add all of the colored you know christmas lights and the christmas tree and the castle lighting of the you know that looks like it's covered in snow and they have that show that they do multiple times a night to to kind of make it snow on stuff on main street so there's just something magical about the the parks at night and the holiday season just gives me the most of that so what do you think james you must add something in mind when you came up with this question yeah, I mean, I've been to both coasts during the holiday season, and I'm actually going to Disneyland next month on the 23rd, the night before staying at the Disneyland Hotel with my family, and then we're going to the park. So it'll be my kids' first time seeing everything with the holiday decor. I mean, one of the things, I have a couple things. One, if I were to pick one thing at Disney World, you know, Epcot is always good at doing their different food festivals. And I think one of my favorites is, you know, festival of the holidays. Cause you know, you're going to get some good food. You're going to see some nice decorations over there. And there's just so much to do at Epcot. You, it's really hard to do everything because you're going to, and the best thing is just wandering around world showcase and seeing, Ooh, that looks good before, you know, cause you can't really plan what's there. It's more just seeing and all the different smells. And then, at Disneyland, I love the overlay with the shows, like when they do World of Color, which I'm glad that that's back again this year and kind of going what it's just I I feel like for me, it's usually more magical than going with takes it. It just really comes alive at night because I love how everything transforms at night. And I think during the holidays, it just really does. You have the bright lights, just everything. The castles are lit up in ways that you wouldn't see during the rest of the year. And, and I'm actually excited, you know, like David said, I'm excited to be in jeans and a t-shirt down there where I'm here, you know, in Washington and cold and snow. So it'll be a nice change for, you know, during, during Christmas for me. For all the talk about, you know, the decor and the different areas, I just want, before we move on, I have to give a shout out to Cars Land because their decorations oh. <laughs> are like nothing else. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, Halloween and Christmas. It's it, yeah, very special there. I, you're right. Everything everything there gets an overlay and gets some extra de- decorations that fit in with the universe that are always so clever and yeah, good point. Yeah, I feel as for places that really transform at night during any part of the year, I think it's Pandora and Cars Land really come to life at night. Because, I mean, they look great during the day, but there's just something about it at night that just makes it pop out that you can't get anywhere else. And talking about Pandora, you know, and, and Tag talking about it being darker earlier, you can't see Pandora at night such a huge part of the year because they close before it gets dark. Yeah. So, you know, being there during the holidays is a fantastic experience that I think a lot of people miss out on on their once-in-a-lifetime trip, they never see because they're there in the summer and that park closes before all the other parks. Well, not only that, sometimes people will have that Animal Kingdom be the one that they go do something else, go to Disney Springs at night or something and make that their early evening. So they even leave before it gets dark because there's no nighttime show 
Well, great points, great conversation. We are two questions in, which means we've reached our halfway point. If you'd like to support the Hub Crawl, please um, head over to thehubcrawl.com slash support. Please head over. For $5 a month, you can get access to our Discord chat. You can get access to our bonus episode. If you increase your levels, you can even submit bonus questions to us. So if you if you like what you hear and you want to make sure that we can stay on the air, help, help us with our, our costs over here, please head over. Uh, give us a little holiday magic of your own. Well, it's time to get back to the question. So let's hear what Eric's question is this week. All right. Since Teg picked something topical, I'm going to pick something topical and head to Rumor Town. Do you think Disney will really cut park reservations? That's been going around a little bit. I've heard it from a few different places. People are saying, oh, I've got a source, but I can't tell you what it is. Uh, all these insiders are, are kind of buzzing about it. So what are your thoughts on whether they will actually eliminate reservations? And what are your thoughts on reservations in general? We got a little bit at the beginning. So let's get a little bit further in depth with that. Dave, kick us off. Well, you know, initially, I'm kind of an oddball. I was thrilled with reservations. And part of that was because of my early experience with them. About a year before the pandemic, Disneyland introduced a lower cost annual pass that was called the Flex Pass. And it was about half the price of a normal annual pass. They had a few blockout dates and whatnot, but it did require you to make reservations. And as an out-of-state pass holder, I'm totally okay with that. I'm generally not going to be trying to go down after dinner. I know if I'm flying in or driving down to go visit the parks. And so as long as I can plan that out and these weekends, these dates work for me, it was great. And when parks first reopened, attendance, you know, the, the number of people actually in the parks was minuscule compared to what it had been before the pandemic. Again, I felt like there was a benefit to me as a guest they are really limiting the number of people here. I probably went three times to Walt Disney World while they were still open before Disneyland opened. And I saw a progression of the crowds just getting bigger and bigger. And initially, I'm making a reservation and I have the park to myself. This is fantastic. There's some things that are missing and whatnot. But as we've moved along, it's, you know, the benefit for the guests doesn't seem to be there. Uh, I'm paying full price for an annual pass now. And I'm having to make a park reservation and I'm worried about whether or not I'm going to be able to make a park reservation for my you know, visit. But I'm one of those super fans. I know that I have to make a park reservation. I've got my own family that have shown up at the park and realized they didn't make park reservations. And I'm scrambling to explain to them how these things work. About a month ago, I was in Disneyland and I sat down next to this uh, mother and her son. They had flown in from New Zealand. They bought tickets online. Cool. They had tickets to the park but they had no idea that there was this reservation system. As it currently stands, you are creating bad interactions for guests. You're leaving negative feeling that lingers and lasts far beyond that visit. It, you know, They tell their friends, they tell their family, this is a mess, you don't want to go. The only thing that I can see park reservations doing right now as a benefit is it gives the company a better idea about how many guests are going to be there on any given day, allows them to plan their staffing, a little bit harder when you're not sure how many people might show up on any given day. But at this point, from my perspective, there really just aren't enough benefits to the system to justify continuing. It's just creating far too many negative experiences for folks, both cast members at the front gate and guests that are showing up. And it's not a good experience and it needs to change or go away. Now, if you want to do something to control crowds, Go back to the flex pass. Give people that option. We'll give you a discounted price, but you're going to have less choice. That's a choice that people can make, and that makes a bit more sense. But if someone buys a ticket, they're expecting to be able to get in the park. And if you're not really limiting, I know that they've said that park attendance has been, you know, is the cap. They've had an internal cap. Having been in the parks recently, it doesn't feel like it. It's not quite as peak as it has been in the past, but it's crowded. It's busy. It doesn't feel like I'm getting anything for that reservation. So I would say I'd like to see definitely some changes. For the most part, it should go away, especially for folks with those day passes. I would support that completely. And take what, what are your thoughts? I probably have talked too much. You know, I apologize. No, that's all right. All I, 
I will say that I agree with what you're saying, that one of the things specifically with Disneyland that was a problem before the pandemic is locals got used to the idea that they could just hop into the park whenever they wanted to. And it was their like personal hangout. They'd get off work. They'd stop in at the end of the night. They'd maybe buy something to eat. They would maybe ride a couple of attractions, watch a nighttime spectacular, and they'd head out or whatever, you know, some combination of those things. And it was crazy. And when they did the reservations, they all lost their minds because they couldn't just, uh, you know, they, they were entitled, basically. Now, I like your idea a lot, Dave, that why not have annual passes or magic keys, as they're called now, why not have reservations for those? Because that seems to be the kind of, if you know, in their eyes, the problem children anyway. But I totally agree that if you show up with a one-day ticket, a five-day ticket, like a ticket that you paid full price for, you're not an annual pass holder, you're not a magic key holder, you bought a ticket full price, oh, yeah. you should be able to get into the park. I should be able to show up from out of town with no planning and go to a ticket booth and buy a ticket and get into the park. And if there's an annual pass holder or magic key holder that wants to pay for a full ticket to bypass their restriction, why not? It's more money for Disney. What do they care? But yeah, I think Teresa and I saw this, actually. There was a there was a couple who had bought tickets. They had shown up, and they had not made reservations. And they said, sorry. And that's not very Disney. Disney's very good at customer service, but this is not something they've been good at customer service with. So I don't think that they're going to cut reservations just yet. During the town hall, Bob Iger was asked about this. He said he had not personally used them, but he would talk to Josh tomorrow and see what the situation was going on, which brought up a whole other thing that Mice Chat brought up and Teresa brought up on our podcast, which is that the executives of these parks that make these decisions need to be like a general guest, and they need to park in the parking garage and take the tram to the Esplanade and buy a ticket and go in the front gate and experience the parks as regular guests do. Because what happens now is they come in a back door, they get a VIP tour guide, and they go experience the park. Well, that's not how most of your guests are experiencing the park. So when you make these decisions, it is not based off of your experience as an executive. It is based off of what you think the average person's experience is. And that is not right. So I don't think they'll get rid of them yet. I do think long term, they will go away. And I don't think their excuse that it's helping them with planning and staffing, I it's always busy now. So I don't think you need a reservation system to tell you that you always just need to be fully staffed. But what do I know? Uh, James, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so having to having gotten to help people plan trips, you know, explaining the system as well as using it myself, I have seen both the good and the bad, but the way that I've tried to explain it to people is think of it as it's a way of stamping your starting point. So that way you're not trying to decide beforehand and having your dining reservation being your only stamp on where you are going to be that day. Cause you can physically see, and I always tell people the importance of making that reservation, anybody I talk with and saying, you need to either make it immediately at Disney world and then you can change later on or at that 120 day mark at Disneyland because you can easily miss it. And then the park is just not available. The one thing I see probably going first is what time you can park hop. I think at some before the park reservations are taken away, I would see the park hopper time frame being taken off before the reservation. So, I mean, for me personally, because I'm a planner, I like to see where I'm going to go. So in at least in my eyes, I get to see, okay, I'm going to go to Magic Kingdom today, and then tomorrow I'm going to Epcot. Instead of trying to remember everything or trying to say, where do I want to go today? So it's nice to have the placeholder, but I do understand what David said because I used to be a Southern California resident, you know, I remember the days when you would just decide to go. What I could see is I think there should be like a 50, 50 where they give people the option to make a park reservation to solidify, but then 
people who are just either showing up or decide, you know what, I'm just going to go with the flow. I'm going to see what's what I'd like to do once I get there, then have, you know, give people that option. That's my personal opinion is, you know, let people decide what they'd want to do because it's, it's hard. It's harder for people who are doing a one or two day pass and they have to decide which one they want to start off with. It, it makes more sense when you have a four five or eight day ticket, you know, that you want to have a pretty good idea, but then have the flexibility to be able to change without having to worry whether or not there's availability. Because what I see sometimes when the longer the Disney World trip, people pick what their favorite parks are. If they have like a seven, eight day ticket, they're going to decide, well, I didn't really, I did everything like at Hollywood Studios. I want to spend more time in Epcot and having to worry about to see if there's any availability. I mean, most of the time now there, there is availability. I mean, for the most part, there is, but to have that flexibility to be able to change and not feel like you're just stuck, I think would be truly beneficial. All right. Well, yeah, very good points for from all of you. One of the arguments I've heard, in addition to, to some of the things you've brought up, that's in favor of reservations, is for days where it's going to be the most packed. So I, I have a friend who said, no, on do you, you don't know what it was like on New Year's Day or New Year's Eve at Epcot. Everyone wanted to be there. Everybody had to wait in line early in the morning, and then they had to stay there all day because if they left, they might not be able to get back in. So people were like sleeping on benches and on the lawns, just waiting to make it all the way through. So that's a really long day. If you have a park reservation for that day, doesn't matter when you show up. You could show up at 10 p.m. for your first entry, and you're all set to go which I thought was a really interesting take on it. So similar to some of your ideas, maybe they could make, maybe they could institute reservations for specific dates where they know it's going to be busy. They know there's going to be a lot of people around. I like your, your ideas as well, but yeah, it, right now it doesn't seem like reservations are really, they're not, they're not really ready to let go of them. I'm not entirely sure why, but Tag, I think of all of the ideas I've heard here, I like your idea the best. If you bought a park ticket, if you just bought a single or, you know, if you just bought a ticket, you should be able to get into that park. I know it says on the ticket, in well, in, on the digital ticket that you never get to see anymore. <laughs> I know that there's an agreement that you might not be allowed to enter the park that day. But, I mean, save that for, you know serious emergencies as opposed to there might be too many people here so you'll have to go home <laughs> well the, the other thing too that i, I i'm sorry i want to butt back in on this conversation but um <laughs> if they want to limit capacity which is what they say the reservation system is for that just limit capacity like they used to do this when the parks would get to capacity they get to their seventy thousand people or whatever and they would just close the gates and they'd say we can't let anybody else in until a certain amount of people leave and then later on they would open the gate again well, that's easy. Lower your capacity. Say, we're only going to let 45,000 people in. And when we hit 45,000 people, that's it. You show up later in the day. There's already enough people. You could try back in a couple hours. Maybe some people have left. So, you know, at least that's more equitable for stuff. Because what happens now, especially with the Magic Keys, is people like panic reserve because they're like, well, I might want to go on that day. And you could cancel up to the night before with no penalty. So then, a lot of people who want a reservation for another day, they wait till that midnight, like around midnight the night before, and they're hit the refresh. And they're like, oh, there's a reservation. Like, it's just a lot of, there's already too many things that you have to plan for and stuff. And James, I know that that's like a huge selling point for concierge services is if they make it complicated, they use you guys to to do that, which is great. Like, I, I mean, that's wonderful. But I also feel like, it should be a fun experience. And I think that now we have all these things scheduled and you've got yeah. you have to make all these dining reservations and reservations for the park and certain days cost more and cost less. I don't know. There's just too much. Whatever happened, I just want to go and just and let the Disney winds take me. And you can't <laughs> do that. If you're going to have a park reservation system, it needs to benefit the guests and the guests have to feel like they are benefiting from it. So, New Year's Eve, Christmas Day, all those really key times, that makes sense. That's also why you have blackout calendars on different annual passes. You can 
you know, load that mix however you want. You know, I tie this back is something that probably should have been said at the beginning in terms of talking about the tale of two bobs. Hmm. Part of the reason that there is, you know, a dislike for Bob number one versus Bob number two is this sense of contempt. You had a feeling that we weren't welcome there anymore. And you talk about, you know, leaders needing to visit the parks and have that real world guest experience. You didn't see Bob number one show up and do that. You're much more likely to see Bob number two. You're certainly likely to see Josh tomorrow out there in the parks on a fairly regular basis. That should be part of that experience. You need to see what people are doing and you need to be thankful that people are coming to visit your parks versus they are a problem. And we really want to limit the amount of time that they're coming here. There's something we could squeeze more money out of and more revenue. I'm sorry for interrupting you, James. No, that's fine. I mean, Tig, you brought up a good point. I mean, there's, I feel like from a couple of years ago, a difference is there is a lot more planning and I'll admit, sometimes it is difficult to try to pitch, you know, how to make it fun for people because one, people can go to Disneyland, no problem, but then they look at Disney World and it's a whole another ball game. There's so much to do. And the one thing I do miss is just, you know, telling people to go with the flow instead of trying to figure out if you have five or six days, which parks do you spend more time with ahead of time? And I, I do miss telling people the flexibility. And I mean, my, my go-to parks to spend more time in is always going to be Magic Kingdom and Epcot. I feel like those are two day parks easily, but I'd rather, you know, give people the chance to experience it to themselves and be able to decide. So I do miss that, especially. While it's helpful, I do. That's where I feel like the 50 50 could. You can choose to, but have flexibility to where you don't feel like you're stuck where you are. Because, I mean, happens all at the time, both ends. People like Disneyland more than California Adventure, or vice versa. And to have the chance to be able to go back and forth with no worry. It it does kind of it can add a little bit of stress. I mean, one of my best friends who went to Disney World back in May, it was almost off putting for him. It was like, wait, I have to plan where we're gonna go. Like, yeah, we do. <laughs> so I mean, we made it work, but it just it sometimes has a little bit of a challenge. And right now, I know at least my job is try to take that stress as much as possible and try to make it fun. But I do feel like if it was, you know, back in the day when you'd have to worry about this, it was a lot more fun just telling people go with the flow, have a few dining reservations here and there. And then afterwards, just see what you like. Well, any closing thoughts from anybody? This has been great. <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel like we have a lot of questions this week that are just very like there's a lot to them. It's not like an yeah. easy thing. It kind of is a complex topic. So I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm sure we could all sit and talk about it forever, but clearly we maybe, can maybe another episode. <laughs> okay. All right. So we'll end that round of discussion. Let's move on to Dave's question to close out the episode. Dave, go for it. Well, fortunately, I think my question is a little bit more direct and simple and straightforward. Maybe, you know, the three of you will surprise me. Uh, with expanded responses in terms of this, but it's it still surprises me at this point that we are still waiting for parades to return, live events, nighttime entertainment. And one of the things that's still missing from California Adventure is the Hyperion Theater remains empty, dormant, just a big, massive building that's air-conditioned, and I would love to sit in it and be entertained. What should Disney do with this space is my question. Do they, you know, tear it down and expand Adventures Campus, which feels like it's really crammed in there? You know, there's some room to do some stuff there. They could certainly reuse it as a theater. Do they bring back one of their old shows, which were incredibly popular? Do they bring something new in? Do they do something totally out of the box? What are your thoughts? Uh, I'm going to ask. It'll start with take. We, you know, I forget about, I, you know, it's terrible. I forget about the high period sometimes, but 
I agree with you that it is kind of a hole back there, and it's a great for for California Adventure that sometimes if Radiator Springs Racers or something goes down, everything else just gets crammed, and it's just it really needs all the capacity it can get. And having a few shows in there would just really eat up people, and I think Disney should do something with it just to help with crowds. It's a great space, too. Like, the fact that they could do a Broadway-caliber show in there. Like you said, I uh, we have somebody um, who's a supporter for the other podcast who used to work in this theater when uh, way back when the park first opened and Steps in Time and stuff was in there, and he talked about those shows being great. I obviously loved Aladdin. We had the guy who played the genie on DL Weekly way back when. He was one of our first guests. And I, I miss that show dearly because I always it was always a highlight for me. Frozen I saw once. I'm not a huge Frozen fan in general. I do think there was some cool special effects and stuff, but I thought Aladdin was just a better show. But that's the past. You're asking about what should they do with the space of the future. Really... If we're going to keep it a show place, which I think that they should, because it's a great venue, there's no reason to get rid of it. It's not like it's falling down or has some problem. Is uh, things that have been popular that we don't have any uh, representation of in the park, really. Coco, great music. That'd be a great kind of thing to have in there. Encanto is like, you know, kind of taking the throne from, from Coco of people that are very excited about it. Both of those, of course, have a lot of Spanish and, and Hispanic heritage, which is really popular at Disneyland. So I feel like that's just like an easy, that's such an easy thing they could do that would be really popular really quickly. But in the long run, uh, I think that all of that corner of the park will be absorbed into Avengers Campus. I think that whole area will become Marvel. And I don't know what would necessarily go in there. We did joke that the the Steve Rogers musical thing that was in uh, one of the shows would be <laughs> producer James thinks that would be oh. wonderful uh, in the high period. But that's the only thing I could think of that would be like good unless they do something like they did on Broadway. It wasn't Disney, but uh, Broadway with like Spider-Man turn out the lights or whatever it was that they spent jillions of dollars on. It failed miserably. I don't know. Something like that. That's Marvel that I think could it be failed popular. Miserably. Let's bring it. Yeah. But <laughs> I think Coco or Encanto would be a better thing. I just don't know if it fits with their long-term vision, but maybe it doesn't have to be long-term. What do you think, James? Well, I don't know if I would go for Steve Rogers, the musical, because I remember watching that thing on TV and thought it was the most ridiculous thing ever. That's why I, it's I, great. I know, Absolutely. but I couldn't, I don't think I could go see that live and take it seriously. Um, okay. I mean, I spent a lot of time seeing Aladdin. I've seen Frozen a couple times. And like you said, Tag, the Broadway caliber they do on these shows is absolutely amazing because right, coincidentally, right before the pandemic, closed everything down my wife and i were in seattle seeing frozen on broadway and it brought back memories of the hyperion's like oh my gosh they maybe might have upped things a little bit and added more but it almost felt like watching the same show i mean the special effects with elsa and you know olaf being a puppet uh i mean a lot of those things you know were pretty much the same and i mean if i were the thing i would actually think disney could look for is look at the Disney Cruise Line, because they have lots of shows that they do. I mean, they have both Frozen and Aladdin on a couple of the ships, but they've also brought Beauty and the Beast, you know, which I think, you know, technically needs an updated look from Hollywood Studios. I mean, that same show has been running for years and they could easily do a bigger Marvel stunt show than what they do at Avengers campus already. So I think there's lots of caliber. I mean, Marvel has done things stunt show wise where they've had a traveling show where, you know, depth defying stunts. And I, I think if you wanted to bring something new easily could do that. I mean, there's so much more they can do now with making people fly and Spider-Man swinging. I mean, there's, there's so much they can do. And I think maybe, in my personal opinion, doing something maybe more than a musical because musicals have been done to death. But I think maybe something more or even put something Star Wars related in there. Something that can be more action related could be something to get people in. And I feel Mar more so Marvel would be the better choice because that would fit with the environment since 
Guardians is there and Avengers Camp, the rest of Avengers Campus. So it would it would not just feel out of place, in my personal opinion. Eric, do you have any thoughts on that? I do. Um, I'm going the the shallow and easy route <laughs> because I've never seen Aladdin and I'd like to. Uh, why not pander to the fans? Why not pander to the people who are so upset when this this show that ran for so long closed down? It sounds amazing. I'd love to see it. Let's just reopen Aladdin. Dust off the old scripts. Get some casting calls out there. You you probably, I mean, you get how many people you can get into the theater with that. I think you could at least give it a a reduced run, like like they did with Captain EO after after its star passed away. Um, they they pulled it back out and said, "Hey, let's just watch this again for a little while. We have nothing else to do in this theater." Just put it back up for a year or so. Speaking of which, what's going to go in that space? <laughs> Man, <laughs> nothing's been in there for quite some time. Yeah, a bulldozer, that, hopefully. Uh, yeah, the it's just been previews and that summary of all the Star Wars movies with some lighting effects. Maybe open that one back up. That used to be a stage. Put put shows there. I don't. It, well, or, or bands. <laughs> kind of going what you said, Eric, with bringing back Aladdin. The nice thing about Aladdin is it. You never saw the same show twice because of the genie. Right. I mean, I remember listening to that episode, Tag, when you had the one actor and hearing the jokes he did of like, oh, my gosh, I remember that. Or hearing some of the things. This is hilarious, especially the guy who played Jafar had to keep a straight face for however many <laughs> minutes straight. <laughs> that was um, a good part. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if I were to bring back a, a show, it would pro. I would agree, it probably would be Aladdin if it wasn't something new. It 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 was just a favorite. I will say, uh, it dawned on me his name was Dylan, by the way, because oh, yeah. I I was trying to remember what his name was. Is uh, for some reason it just fell out of my head. But he, I think he said he would like go back and do it. He would be the genie again. And I agree with you, James, that. The, the thing that made that show so great and so fan favorite and it kept up such a demand was because you never saw the same show twice. You're absolutely right that there was new jokes and things just played differently. And so you always wanted to go see it again because it was like, oh, what's he going to say this time? Or what's what's the current pop culture thing he's going to reference? Sorry, while you were talking, I just thought about this. Maybe they have a Guardians of the Galaxy like variety show because Star Lord could like bring in and talk about pop culture stuff because, like, you know, that seems like it would be appropriate for him. And you could have all these different like Marvel people come out. And I don't know. I'm just saying, like, that that's the beginning of a good concept. I think that could be something or or lack of knowledge of current pop pop culture. <laughs> right, right. That's the the joke now, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> well, yeah, that was the holiday special was wonderful. But yeah, I mean, I I actually like that idea, Tag. I think that would be good. And the stuff you could do easily now with, you know, bringing characters like Rocket and Groot to life. I mean, things that you wouldn't think possible before. Yeah. Yeah. I love and these then, ideas that you guys are coming up with. It's, yeah. you know, pretty fantastic. One thing, you know, a couple of ideas, if I, you know, just throwing things out, you know, James was talking about some of the cruise line shows. One of the, one of our, my family's favorite cruise line shows, Villains Tonight. And you, we know that there are, is a ton of love for Disney villains and, you know, Villains Grove and Oogie Boogie Bash. You could easily do something like that. But I might suggest they do two different shows or use it in a multiple space. I realize that can be hard in a theater. This is a fantastic theatrical setting. And I don't care what anyone says. Musicals haven't been done to death. It would be okay to have another musical in there. And, you know, as Eric said, you know, pandering, I think going with Coco or Encanto would be pandering, but also I would love to see Aladdin come back because that was a fantastic show, but uh, I could see them doing a show during the day and then doing maybe after hours events that are just purely for adult. You know, you could bring in your Star Lord at that point mm. or do a theatrical movie with an orchestra and have, you know, someone actually, you know, presenting the music more like in a live way. 
there's possibilities for comedians or other things that could be done in a theater. You can think outside the box. I, you know, because it sits right there on that border of Avengers Campus and Hollywood Land, which seems to be dying a slow death, you could go either way. You could make it fit. So I think there's lots of options, but I, you know, if I were to sum it all up, they need to do something with it. Put something in there. It is too good of a space to not be used. And it could be used in multiple ways. Um, I would love to see more than one show going at the same time, even if that's difficult. I'll throw it back to you guys. I, I apologize. I no, got you excited a, there. You brought up a good point, David, because, you know, you talk about the villains, Unite and the Disney Cruise. It made me think about what Magic Kingdom does during Halloween. They do a Hocus Pocus show. And, you know, if they wanted, doesn't necessarily have to be a daytime or a nighttime show. It could easily be a, you know, holiday overlay halloween and christmas you know do something that fits like if you wanted to do you know bring in hocus pocus since that's popular more popular again than it ever has been thanks to the sequel so there's just there's lots of things they could do and i agree they just need to bring something back i mean i feel like that's the last caliber in the parks is the shows we're we've slowly beginning shows back but there are still so much, especially in Disneyland and California Adventure, that they just need to come back and do something with it, whether it's new or nostalgic. And I just feel like there's something they need to do with it. You know, since we're talking about shows, and then I think we should wrap up here, but they should do some type of dinner show. Like, So they've got that space. So they they, they had the ABC Soap Opera Bistro at DCA uh, when it first opened that was kind of like you were you were getting, you know, fed dinner and you had the like this soap opera happening around you. To take mm. the Disney Cruise Line idea, you could use that Disney Junior space. I know they don't want to because they want to have more kid stuff in DCA, but if you wanted to use a space that was already kind of pre-built for this, heck, you could use the place that's right next to the Hyperion that's that giant warehouse space that they don't ever use for anything you could turn it into that <laughs> but you should have some type of like dinner show or 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 f- like dining experience with a show and you could cycle through you could have six seven eight of those a day people aren't gonna care that like it's not dinner or lunch time they'll reserve it to get the whole thing I I think that that's that's a I would love to sit and eat and watch a show you know, a la Disney with like the Tiki Room originally uh, idea of like of that. But uh, and they do it successfully on the cruise ship. So I, I think they could do it in the parks. But well, that does it for this episode of the Hub Crawl. Well, everybody got their time's worth uh, this week. We, of course, would like to thank our guests. We do have one more bonus question. So if you're a supporter, by the way, we will be talking a little bit more with these folks. So uh, there is more if you uh, support us at thehubcrawl.com slash support. But for this week, we'd like to thank our guests. Dave, thank you so much for uh, joining us and uh, giving us uh, some some nice answers. Thank you so much for having me. This has been just a pleasure. I'm willing to talk Disney anytime, anywhere. Let's do it. That's all I'm saying. Well, you know, <laughs> I appreciate the fact that you... Uh, hold on, folks. Let me let me give you a, a direct quote because I thought it was so entertaining when I, asked, when I asked Dave to be on the show. I said, what are you doing this Wednesday at 6 p.m. Disney the time? And he said, I should probably be studying for my anatomy test on Thursday, but that's not likely. I'm sure you have a better offer. And here he is. <laughs> Ta-da! <That's> great. <laughs> And thanks for joining us, James. I loved your your perspective as a travel planner and a, a Disneyland expert. Thanks for bringing that to us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I mean, like David said, I'm always up for talking anything Disney. I mean, that's why I have the job that I have. Yeah. And if you want to talk with James about Disney more, you can have him book your travel Go to concierge.com and uh, you can look him up there. And uh, like I said, even though Teresa and I are experts at Disneyland, he has helped us out numerous times with things. In fact, he's helping us plan. Uh, Producer Paris. James and I are going to Europe this summer Ooh. and uh, Paris is on the horizon. And uh, believe it or not, Concierge does Paris as well. So we are definitely going to get some help there for that. So for everybody listening, join us next time when we continue to talk all things Disney. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.